today for Tysonversation. We're joined by Niels Jonsson. Thanks for joining us, Niels. How are you going? My pleasure, man. Thank you for having me. Pleasure is all mine. And can we um, just start, Niels, by um, telling the people a little bit about your background in training? Sure. Well, I have done a whole different kind of sports as I grew up. So everything from soccer, racket sports, martial arts, a little bit of everything pretty much. And um, then as I got a bit older, I started practicing in particular parkour and martial arts. And along those lines, I started to get, uh, get comfortable with strength training and conditioning in order to supplement my parkour practice. And that kind of led me on to gymnastic strength training because I was very keen on bodyweight exercises. And uh, fast forward more or less 10 years or so, I've been devoting a lot of my time to bodyweight based training uh, and now make a living teaching bodyweight training to, uh, to adults. And I do that through workshops, personal training, online coaching and, uh, and training programs. Awesome. And you're based out of Copenhagen in Denmark. You, you, grew, you grew up in Copenhagen? So I grew up uh, a couple hours to the west of Copenhagen. And then as I was enrolling in university, I moved to Copenhagen to study. And after I finished my bachelor's degree at Copenhagen Business School, I decided to go full time with, with teaching bodyweight based training because that was what my real passion probably was. So um, yeah, so I've been doing that full time for four years. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because the reason I ask is when I visited you, which was I think two, two years ago now, I'm pretty sure, yeah, um, sounds about you, right. You, t you took me to the original parkour park. I think it was called the Yayo, like Yayo Park. Yeah, yeah, which was the first of its kind. Because we kind of, I'm pretty sure we're the same age, roughly. I just turned twenty nine. I'm a little bit younger than you. Then I'll turn twenty eight in uh, January. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, we're rough, roughly the same age. So we kind of grew up as parkour, kind of blew up you know what I mean and prior to YouTube exploding <laughs> exactly yeah yeah exactly so when I was a teenager I heard about like to see a park based around parkour was awesome to me and that one that you took me to was the first of its kind which I'd seen through Heldon um, through his videos and the, the reason why I was asking you from if you grew up in Copenhagen was just from me visiting for that weekend, I saw the influence of say body weight training and parkour was so much stronger in your country than it was in somewhere like Australia. Did you, do you think that you got that interest in parkour and body weight training because of kind of the culture It was more prevalent where you grew up or was it just through, um, through the computer, through being on YouTube and stuff, you found that? I think it was a, a mix of both actually. When I started, uh, when I started to do this a lot, YouTube was not really a thing back then. So it was a lot more about us meeting uh, together and coordinating all the sessions and, 
and kind of figuring out on our own what to do and which movements to pursue in what order and so on. So there was not really any inspiration online to draw from in, in those years. It, it, now it sounds like I'm from the 80s or something, but, but it was, yeah, you'll know what I mean when, when you're born 25, 30 years ago, that, um, that there was not really this, this uh, inspiration to draw from in an online format to the same extent. And so after a couple of years, that's uh, actually also when YouTube started to, to really grow you know, you started to get a lot of inspiration from other practitioners and, and saw what they were doing and you tried your best to imitate uh, the way that they practiced. And so I think, yes, I started uh, offline, if you can say it like that, but then, of course, drew a lot of inspiration by, by finding out what other people are doing afterwards. And you, it sounded like you had a very natural progression, like me, going from something like parkour to weights training and then finding kind of your base in body weight training. Was that a very natural progression for you in that you were doing parkour and felt like it would benefit from strength training? Or did you find that you were doing things like parkour and thinking that they were lacking something like strength training? I think that after doing parkour for a couple of years, I started to realize that some of the friends that I was training with and people that I met through parkour that some of them were really strong and so naturally they were able to jump further, um, not get injured to the same extent, do pull-ups and climb-ups and things like that a lot easier than I was. And um, of course I had to realize that they were probably stronger than I was. <laughs> and, um, and so it was a way for me to structure my parkour training uh, in order to progress to a, to a next level. And also, yeah, to stay safe and healthy, basically. So, so it, was, it was a way, a natural progression, I would say, after I've been fumbling around with it a little bit, to kind of put it into system so that you can actually track your improvements by, by doing your strength training on the side. Yeah. And then why do you think you found your base in bodyweight training? Why do you think it didn't stay with parkour or settle a bit more in weightlifting? Because you do do weightlifting but you do define say your training by the body would you say body weight strength training or do you like to keep it more broad in terms of just body weight training? it kind of becomes a question of semantics in the end right yeah so, exactly. so i try you know communicating what i do outside to other people i i of course refer to my specialty or my niche as being body weight training because that's where I have uh, the most experience with. But really, I see myself as someone who's developing and exploring different, different arts and, and, and different ways of, of training, essentially. And, yeah, do, you, um, do you think bodyweight training is maybe the best way to, do, to give you permission to try a lot of different things without being questioned like that? I think so. It's, it's, just... a, yeah, it's a reasonably broad umbrella for it to, to encapsulate a lot of different, different things. Because if you were to ask someone, or if you were to explain to someone what you do, and you would say, yeah, do a little bit of everything, then okay, thanks, but that doesn't really tell me that much. <laughs> so, so I don't think you should be afraid to kind of put a label on yourself. Um, because, you know, it's just a way of describing what you currently do more of, or what you have done more of, without it being limiting to who you are, if that makes sense. And why do you think you chose body weight training as your label? 
Yeah, I, I um, I've always viewed training in a I would say holistic way, where um, limiting the use of external equipment was for me an, a way to express a freedom in some way, and um, and along those lines, body weight training kind of fits right in into that spot because you it kind of gives you a, a sense of freedom without having to be dependent on external surroundings or equipment and and i, I don't know there is an, an aesthetic uh sensation or feel i think in in that style of training yeah and do, do you feel like labeling yourself like that and you have a reputation you said because you make your living by doing your personal training and you have your website do you find yourself ever hesitant to try or get involved in things that would be by the common person seen as outside the realm of bodyweight training? Because the reason I ask is with my own reputation that's in Olympic lifting and gymnastic style strength training. And I find myself as I'm getting older, those things are kind of still my bread and butter. and But they've given me so many abilities that I can apply to other things and there's so much more out there to learn in addition to Olympic weightlifting and gymnastic style strength training. So at the moment I find myself pursuing mixed martial arts. I find myself really enjoying mountain biking. I've much earlier than I thought gotten into more cardio based training as well. Mm. And the cardio thing is like as a side note something I didn't think I would be getting into now but I found out the importance of it through the martial arts training getting exhausted and not being able to make my body do the things I wanted it to do but I find that or I maybe worry that putting out content on my YouTube channel on my platform where I'm known for the Olympic lifting and bodyweight training this, these new things are maybe being put in front of the wrong audience that maybe just wanted like or expected Olympic lifting and bodyweight training. And I'm finding I don't like that I've kind of boxed myself into those two movements when I want to kind of explore everything there is to know about training. And just Olympic lifting and bodyweight training took up so much of my young years not that i'm old but you know my younger years because they are so so beneficial they're learning olympic lifting and gymnastics is so much more to me valuable for your physical potential than mountain biking or than running five kilometers it's only that i've got them now as foundation so that i can start exploring these other things so i was wondering as another person that kind of defines themselves or their reputation is based on a label you say body weight training do you ever feel yourself having that um ever apprehensive to pursue things in movement that aren't necessarily body weight training yeah that is, that's actually a very good question i i used to feel that very much in the in the early stages of my of my training career and uh and I actually still today get a lot of comments whenever I do, let's say, weight-based exercises or something that's maybe not strictly within the realm of bodyweight training. 
people saying, oh, but, but don't you do body weight based training? Is this part of gymnastics also? And, um, and so I can understand where they're coming from, but you know, the only thing that you can do as a practitioner is to, I guess, uh, not limit yourself in terms of your, your mental thinking and, um, and be open to the fact that you don't know everything there is to know about a particular discipline and, it, and it's okay to, to try out different things. In fact, I think that's, that's one of the trademarks also of someone who's mature, both as a teacher and, and practitioner, one who is, uh, who's humble enough to, to make errors and to, to try out different things and to not always stay comfortable with what you currently know. Um, I've had a lot of uh, clients also who uh, advanced quite a bit with their own training and now we've actually become more or less sparring partners. And so the, the roles have kind of switched a little bit, but I think it's a valuable lesson both for myself and for them to see that, okay, even though he is the teacher and the perceived expert on this, he's still someone who's trying to figure out, okay, how, how does all this make sense and fit together? Mm. I know, does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You just From what you said then just reminded me that I had just recently thought how long I've been doing YouTube and there's people that used to comment on my videos with questions because you could tell that they were just starting um, their own bodyweight journey and because I've been doing it so long, there's actually a few people who have gone from that to being people that can teach me a lot of things about movement. I'm, I'm sure they wouldn't mind me saying their name. Um, on my first Stronger series, Jordan Garcia. Do you know that, yeah, that yeah, guy? Yeah, yeah, no yeah he would, um, he sent like a few comments and stuff and uh, I just felt from the way he spoke, he was getting into that kind of journey and I've kept reasonably up to date with what he's doing and he's grown into this athlete, like really talented athlete in his own right that could, he kind of, he has his foundations and then I love this about just body weight training. You can have your foundations and you can go off and kind of specialize on certain things. Like some people might be super strong, like iron cross, planche. Some people might be super complex in what they can do, talking one arm handstands. And then there's kind of everything in between. So he just, from you saying that, some people who are your student end up becoming people that can teach you things as well. Just reminded me of, um, yeah, some people that have grown um, absolutely yeah from yeah from watching my stuff so um what uh what are you working on at the moment so at the moment i am mostly maintaining my mobility and strength when it comes to body weight based training and uh, on the side i devote quite a bit of time to acrobatics work so uh, like tumbling so a little bit a mix of tricking capoeira as well as uh, strictly gymnastics tumbling so uh, trying to better myself at, at that, plus it's a lot of fun. <laughs> and how long have you been doing that, the acrobatic stuff? I've been doing that for, you know, um, some periods of time more intensely, others less so, but overall I would say four years maybe. Yep. So a bit of time. And that, that's also an area where 
I started that relatively late compared to uh, you know someone getting enrolled in gymnastics when they're young. So for me, that was also another opportunity to you know have to start learning things from scratch again without having this this prior expertise that you know people kind of hold up against you what being someone who started what would you say in mid 20s was when you started working uh, on yeah early acrobatic 20s tumbling uh, what did you find were some of the main challenges as an adult trying yeah. to learn tumbling the main challenge was my coordination and fear while uh, inverting myself and, and rotating in different planes of movement. So simply being comfortable in, in different yeah, planes of movement. So whether that's going backwards into a, a backwards somersault or twisting, knowing how to coordinate, it and coordinate a twist while doing a salto and, and things like that which is uh, very, very different to, uh, to more conventional types of movement that you see in, in a gym, for instance. Yeah, so, so you found, was it a mental thing to start with and then it's absolutely, the yeah. coordination is something. Yeah, the, well, the so first of all, simply being comfortable unique. and not afraid of falling on your face. <laughs> yeah. And then of course that That's confidence comes with you gaining technical understanding of the things you do. Yeah. And did your confidence come from just understanding if you applied the technique, you'd be okay? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, it was just a matter of doing it a thousand times and refining the technique until, you know, you get to the point where you feel even with sub-optimal technique, you can still do the skill. And even on a day where you don't feel that great, you can actually still pull it off. Then I find that the fear goes away of doing that skill. Right. Yeah, because that's how I try and explain it to people, particularly with just learning the classic standing back tuck, is that I'd I'd go so far as to say every single person, their biggest qualm with a back tuck is the fear, like the mental barrier stopping them from their head, their butt going over their head, going upside down. So I try and... How I try and overcome that when I teach people is... I don't really talk about the mental side. I don't say, now I know it's scary, but what's going to happen? I don't even frame it in that sense. I introduce them to it by breaking down the movement where each step along the way isn't scary in its own right. And then when it comes time to perform the back tuck, that fear might still be there. You can't, as a coach or teacher, control that, but you hope that you've instilled in them the confidence that if they just put everything together that they just learned, then there's nothing to worry about. And yeah, it's a bit nerve-wracking to do your first one. It always is. But yeah, I find if you can just break it down into things that aren't scary and get them to understand that when they put that together, they accomplish that feat, then it makes it so much easier. Like overthinking is, a, yeah, overthinking is a bitch. If you even, if you start to entertain, like, oh, yeah, it's a bit scary, but you know, like, then they just start thinking about that over and over. I find that if you just put that to the side and focus on the physical, the technique, that it's yeah, so much easier to overcome. I put out a beginner workout video for tumbling recently on my youtube channel and i didn't really focus on 
much at all going upside down, but it focused on something more I thought I hadn't ever considered for an adult, which is the conditioning within the, it's gonna sound kind of specific, but the conditioning of bouncing or jumping on the balls of your feet and for the Achilles tendon. And one thing that made me think about that was there was this gymnast who is an accomplished gymnast, but they tore their Achilles doing a tumbling pass. And it's a horrible injury that you don't want to get. And it just made me think of how, which I don't necessarily know the answer to, but how fragile is an adult's Achilles? You know, like how tight does that get? Does, is squatting enough to give you that nice mobility in the heel? What about like those sudden movements, if you say sprinting or jumping? Um, is conditioning that important or an important part of tumbling or does it just condition itself um, as you learn to tumble? And if you think about the first few skills that you would teach an adult, it would be things like a back tuck or a standing front tuck. And those moves don't really have, they're, they're not really gonna build any conditioning because they're just from a standing position. Plus you don't and, get but, that rebounding. Exactly, but once they learn those things, they then take that to learning a round off to back tuck and they take that to doing a punch front. And I just worry or was thinking how could I help the adult community if they wanted to get into tumbling is whenever I did a structured class it always started with the warm-ups that are in the video which is just basic light bouncing um, lateral movement front to back movement um, and yeah all everything in between in terms of rebounding and I just feel like maybe conditioning is something adults are missing in the re like through the uh, yeah, jumping on the balls of your feet through the heel cord or the Achilles up the calf. Um, all of that is maybe something being missed by adults who are doing, yeah, doing tumbling. Have you ever found that you've had any soreness in that area or ever thought about that? Or do you think that maybe your parkour and things like that from when you were young maybe take care of that? I have had soreness in my Achilles and whenever that's happened I've actually stopped that session or either done something completely different uh, being maybe a bit conservative but that's how I've always actually viewed myself when it comes to training that I would much rather call it a day if I feel that something is not right or if, if I feel sore in a place I don't want to feel sore so I think ha having that uh, kind of internal feedback loop with yourself to be able to take the temperature, if you will, of how is your body doing on this particular day and adjust from that can actually be quite important in perhaps avoiding something that could be very serious. Mm. It's, it's so important, the skill of being able to listen to your body and understanding what it means. So, And so there's only one way to get to that point, and that is to have exposed yourself through many, 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 many hours of training, right? So that you can differentiate between, okay, what is normal and what's perhaps uh, less than what I'd like it to be. Yeah, I mean, it's good and bad. It's bad in the sense that you can't teach people this. They kind of have to go through it. And one of the more, I don't know, like startling things to me is people that don't, can't differentiate between, say, DOMS and an injury. 
to me, because I've been training so long, DOMS, when you've just worked a muscle that's not been used to it and you're sore the next day, that's such an obvious, clear pain so I can know if I can work through it or if it's not DOMS and if I should back off. And the fact that even people can't even differentiate between that to start, I wish there was just a way to kind of just teach it, if you know what I mean. Um, and yeah. th I think there's, a, there's really only one way to, to know that, and that is to have tried what it's like when it's not the pleasant kind of pain you're feeling, to, to have had some type of, of overuse injury, right? Um, so that you have experience firsthand with, okay, what does it feel like when there's pain in an area and it doesn't go away and it constantly reappears when you try to, to use a particular part of your body. That, that's, I guess that's maybe the only practical way of, of actually exposing yourself to, okay, this is what I then know I don't have to, to go after the next time. Yeah, I mean, is that how... How would you deal with it if you had a client that was learning, that just said they wanted to learn the Iron Cross, for example, and you were showing them basic prerequisites and they came in the next day and said the biceps were sore, but they're a beginner. How can you differentiate between they probably just have DOMS or maybe they tweaked something and would you err on the side of caution for that? So what, what I typically tell my clients whenever they experience pain uh, as part of training is if the pain um, persists for days after the particular session, then that's an indication that you were going too hard at it while you were tra training, even if you didn't feel it while you were training. So, so having to register with yourself the next couple of days, okay, how do I feel? Is it still tender? Is it painful the days after? If it was, then the load was too heavy or the volume was too much. That, that's typically in layman's terms how I explain it to clients because that's, that's an easily understandable way of, of navigating it for them. Yeah. What do you find is work? Because you, you obviously would be a looked at as a, a personal trainer or a coach into, like just in general in the fitness industry with having niche um, qualifications in terms of your body weight training, body weight strength training, gymnastic style body weight training. What do you find in that clientele is some frequently asked questions that beginners want to know or want to learn or common mistakes they make when approaching body weight training? Yeah, I think the, the most common mistake that I experience that people have is that they assume because it's uh, visually impressive a lot of the bodyweight exercises is that they take it for skill or technically based training and not strength training. They, they misjudge how much strength training actually lays the groundwork for be able to, being able to do all these impressive feats down the line. And so and you're talking in terms of programming it? Yeah, exactly. So I, I work quite a lot in the CrossFit community as well. And as, as an example, learning how to do a muscle up, you know, is considered a skill in CrossFit. However, that skill is only possible with the, uh, the groundwork having been laid properly with strength training. And I guess for, I mean, for any bodyweight based skill that's impressive or difficult that you can find, that, that's mostly a feat of strength, really. 
a thing like a one-arm pull-up, a handstand push-up, levers, crosses, it's strength. And, and I think that that's the main takeaway that people need to, to have with this kind of, of training is that they need to structure it the same way as if they were with regular strength training, paying respects to load, volume, frequency, and the rate of progression that they can expect. And how, how do they um, present that to you in terms of they, what they come in and think it's a skill, so they just need to do, do, do they think they need to do higher repetitions, so, for example? Some of, yeah, most of the time, if I can, if I can tell that someone is, is kind of misjudging what, what, they're, what they're after or what they're trying to do, is that they will explain a lot of the technical drills they have tried previously to do the skill. And then I see, okay, let's, how many pull-ups can you do? And we test that and I can see they can maybe do two or three. Then, then of course, you can tell that you know, they've, they've spent a lot of time on understanding the technical aspects of doing the skill without having the actual strength to do it. So that, that's pointless. Right. Yeah, I, I to- from you saying, I totally know what you mean. When people, they know what they want to do, they understand, for example, muscle up. But yeah, they just can't do it because they've not got the strength to do it but one thing that does contrast that is a handstand you wouldn't for example give people a strength training routine to learn the handstand and i would imagine that would be a highly requested skill to learn and yeah absolutely yeah so how how about with that so with the handstand there's obviously a couple uh different themes going on of course you need to have the the appropriate shoulder strength and stability in order to hold yourself in an inverted position Um, you also need the balance and coordination which are separate to the strength of of holding it and uh, and so first off i just do a, a basic assessment and see okay can they hold themselves in an inverted position with with a proper alignment um and I explained to them why this is important, not because that strength correlates with your handstand ability, but because it is a, um, because it's essential in order to be able to accumulate enough practice with these technically specific drills, if that makes sense. So you, you need a minimum of strength uh, uh, in a good position in order to actually put in quality practice which then accumulates with time uh, and you end up being able to hold it. Because if you can hold a handstand for say 30 seconds, what I then try to explain is, okay, if that is your maximum hold, that means you can do maybe uh, balance specific drills for 10 seconds at a time. You need to do a lot of sets of 10 seconds for it to actually account for something. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And what would you say would be a, just staying on handstands would be a common misconception that people bring into um, your their sessions with you that you need to explain is maybe... They, they actually a lot of times make, make the opposite mistake to what I described earlier with uh, underestimating the strength requirements. Here, most of the time, they overestimate how strong you need to be. So, so a lot of times... I've seen people that can stand two minutes against a wall and, and yet struggle with the handstand itself. And that's obviously because they did not understand that once you have a minimum uh, level of strength and endurance in the shoulders, then it's actually a matter of, of proprioception, being able to understand where am I in space when I'm on my hands and how do I effectively correct when my, um, 
when my center of mass goes too far away from my hands. Right. It's interesting you say that actually about proprioception and you know having the strength to stay up against a wall for two minutes. Um, it has got me thinking lately is I've been doing the handstand for what am I? 29. So say about 10 years, obviously not over the course of that time as much as I'm doing it now, you know, there's been dips and stuff and I'm probably in the last year or so been training up more than I ever have in the past. But for 10 years, I've been able to kick up full decade and do it. Yeah. And I still find when I, let's just say like I stand up now and warm up and then kick up into my handstand, it's not always guaranteed that I'm going to kick up and hold it and stay up there. It might take one or two tries for me to do it. And then I'm not sure about yourself, but then there's other people say like Yuri Marmestein who can just kick up into it every time. I would imagine if you've been doing it for 10 years, that's what you should be doing. So I was sitting back and thinking, when I did my first handstand 10 years ago, there's people that have literally were just starting medical school and are now on the other side operating on people as qualified surgeons. And then here I am 10 years later still kicking up and frigging falling out of my first little handstand attempt of the day. And I'm thinking there must be something going wrong with my training in terms of I have the strength and I know what has to be done, but perhaps my proprioception is off or something like that. I feel like after 10 years, I should be nailing it every time. What are your experiences with that? Do you still struggle or am I alone here? You're alone, man. (laughs) What am I doing wrong? (laughs) No, so what I think is the case when you have someone who can actually balance the handstand properly once they are there and uh, being spotted into it, but unable to kick up is obviously the, the kicking up technique itself, which is probably too inconsistent. They land uh, in different parts of the spectrum when they kick up. That's one thing. And the second thing is the range of motion that they can effectively correct their overbalance is too small so the the larger the range of motion where you can apply these corrections and bring your your center of mass back into midline the larger that range is the more of a buffer you'll have when you perform your kick up does that make sense Uh, it does make sense because you you rely less on having to nail it dead on 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 each kick up yeah so how do you work on having that correction because obviously I try and correct when I'm up there so how can after 10 years of doing it have I still not developed that broader range of corrective ability so what what again not being the proclaimed expert but what I would suggest is you you're obviously aware with the heel and toe pulls against the wall which are very standard Mm. you know pulling your toes and, and feet with a chest and back facing position into a freestanding hold. That's, of course, one of the drills uh, that I guess you have been doing, correct? Um, could you send a link to me? Because I'm 
try, I probably know what it is, but can't sure. picture it from sure. what you're saying. So it's essentially being in a handstand with your belly facing the wall, and then by pushing your shoulders in front of your hands, eventually your toes will come off the wall into a freestanding hold. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you've, you've, and you yep. can do it the opposite way also. Yep. So, so that's one. What I would then also practice is uh, positioning yourself in a, uh, if you can say it like that, scissor position with the legs against the wall, chest facing. Then practicing jumping off of the wall, not by a lot, but jumping a little bit off of the wall and practicing landing in the handstand with the feet still in that scissor. Does that make sense? Yeah. You practice kicking up, but you actually start on the wall so that you don't have to travel as far meaning that the likelihood of you misjudging it is less. Then what I would also do is simply practicing your kick up in a freestanding position and then paying attention to having the legs in that scissor position when you kick up and landing in the handstand without bringing the feet together at first so that you minimize the amount of movements that are happening at the same time. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So I try to explain it to my clients that the less movement you can make throughout your body when you kick up, the less variables you have to control. And so a lot of times you see people bringing their legs together um, as soon as they arrive in the handstand, but that can very quickly throw you off. Yeah. And so a, a simple exercise to do is to practice with uh, a little bit too uh, little speed, kick up, come down, then apply maybe 10% more speed, come a little bit higher, and then on the third one, attempt to nail it uh, in that scissor position in the handstand. Because by gradually building up the momentum, you will get a better and better understanding of the spectrum and how much force is needed to land where. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah, yeah. From you saying all this is just making me think that I th from my type of training, which has been large, largely bodyweight strength training, I trained on the parallettes for so long and I'm much more confident, I would, I would say most of the time, if not every time, I could hit a handstand on parallettes without fail. So it's been very unique coming to training predominantly flat-handed handstands and not being able to just grip the P-bar and pull yourself into position. And I think because a lot of the time for me, a handstand has been a means to an end. So getting into handstands so I can do my planche negatives or handstand push-ups or whatever, the focus has always been just on being in handstand and not necessarily a setup to get into a handstand. Right, and plus you have two things going on when you do it in the parallels. I actually experienced the same thing. That was just with, with, uh, with planche-specific training that I did it also a lot on the parallels and, and not too much on the floor and experienced that there was a problem then going from parallels to floor because I hadn't done it in a while. But, but you have, I think, two issues when it comes to only practicing in the parallels with your handstand, and that is, one, the wrist positioning is different on the parallels than floor obviously uh, and the grip is different so that's one plus the hands are placed higher than would, what you uh, would have on the ground meaning that the amount of force needed uh, from your jump has to be more and so there are actually two different types of of entries into the handstand depending on floor or parallel bars and um, so what i also do 
this is just to give an idea, but with, with my clients that are trying to learn handstands, I spend quite a lot of time actually working on first headstands on the ground and then later shoulder stands, but on boxes. Oh, okay. So, and I do it on the boxes because the hand position is similar to what you'd have on the ground in a handstand. Plus, it's a little bit easier, of course, uh, holding the balance in the shoulder stand. But what it does is it mimics the kick up you would use for the handstand and also the corrections needed uh, from the hands and the shoulders. So I find that it's a good way to practice catching yourself from a mounting position. You can of course do it on parallel bars, but if you were to try it on the ground, I prefer to have the boxes as it copies the same hand position. Yeah. Do you, do you find with your clients, do you teach them what they request in terms of choosing parallettes or flat hand, or do you find you opt for one in particular because for me for years I used parallettes and had no issue with the fact that I didn't train much on floor simply because the parallettes were they gave me what I needed for what I wanted to get out of doing a handstand for example they let me go deep on handstand push-ups they were easier to grip and control so I could do my planche negative so I never had an issue with that I didn't train it much flat hand and I also thought that training flat hand would um, you could much easier get wrist overuse issues wrist pain by doing flat so I thought parallettes were more comfortable and I, I still do think all those things but because I'm now not doing the type of strength training that I was doing when I was younger I would for sure recommend people learn flat handed handstands and parallettes or p-bars are just uh novelty is probably a bit too insulting of a word but um if you can do a flat-handed handstand you can do it on the p-bars yeah if that makes sense and yeah it does maybe not the other way around i sometimes use parallettes with clients um who of course are still working on the freestanding handstand but simply for the reason that they're then able to, I find a little bit easier, kick up and hold it on the parallettes because you have a stronger wrist position. So sometimes doing it on the parallel bars for people trying to learn the handstand on the ground can be kind of a um, aha moment, if you will, you know, kicking up and actually holding it because that sensation is very difficult to achieve when you're working on it. Yeah, right. So you kind of use them as a tool. I sometimes use it as a tool, yeah, to give to kind of gain early access to the sensation of actually hitting it and landing it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, kind of changing direction a little bit. This is just a question uh, I'd been thinking. <laughs> These are probably all questions I just think to myself, and now I've got someone to throw them to as well. Is do you? kind of like a yes or no question to start. Do you look at a handstand as a functional exercise, something that has carryover to other things? I have no idea what to answer. (laughs) (laughs) It it entirely depends on what you're comparing with. So maybe if I rephrase it, as in, do you look at 
the, the process of learning how to do a handstand, making the adjustments. Maybe you need to work on um, your thoracic mobility or being able to open up the shoulders. You know, the whole process that leads you up to getting, say, a really nice 20-second hold um, hand, handstand, hands flat on the ground. Do you think that the process of doing that is, be is be beneficial in terms of it being a functional exercise to the point where it does benefit other things you would go off and do? I will say yes, uh, while of course risking myself being burned on a, burned on a cross. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I would say yes as well. Uh, pretty much everything I do, I justify by saying that it's a functional exercise. Yeah. So I and find I think the, um, oh sorry, I interrupted on. you there. That, that's okay, go on. And I think that the, the thing you said uh, before, more specifically about the process of learning the handstand, if that is transferable, and I think that's the key thing, because the handstand itself is a very, very specific skill that requires very dedicated time, but the, the carryover you get from, of course, strengthening your shoulders, proprioception and all that stuff that you get along the way of learning it is applicable. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it, actually. Um, the reason why I'm asking this question is because uh, the main philosophy behind my training is skill acquisition. So kind of treating your, yourself or your body like a video game character where it gains attributes and becomes better at moving through space. And to gain those skills, you do functional exercises, things that do make your body better and can be applied across other movements. So doing a squat doesn't just make you better at doing a squat. It makes you better at, say, sprinting. It makes you better at strength output. And sometimes I struggle to explain that to other people in terms of explaining the exercise that we're talking about, in this case the handstand, and explaining exactly how that is functional or how a handstand benefits other movements. So I just kind of wanted to put that to you and see um, how you addressed it. And I think, I think that's totally right, is that if you, a handstand in and of itself is maybe the error I'm making, is I would show them the handstand and say, look how your shoulders have to be elevated look how your core has to be engaged and those things carry over into say needing your core engaged for um for squatting or for sprinting or having that elevation if you're trying to push someone off of you in jiu-jitsu but i think what is more appropriate to say is that the training that it takes to achieve that position is what actually holds the carryover yeah 100 percent, and that is actually it kind of reminded me a little bit about you know i've i've had the exact same situation happen a lot of times also where people ask you know working on some skill they ask you what well what is it good for what what does it do for you yeah what what and are you I, going I, I, to I use want it to for explain it and sometimes i get a mental block or am i able yeah. to explain it and i had the same thing actually when i was i was doing something uh, in the gym one day and and someone asked me what are you going to use it for? And I actually didn't know what to answer. And then 
uh, I was reading a book actually by, he's a Danish psychologist, but he had some quite interesting points that I think really relate to this uh, question of what is it good for, where, where he explained that some things, they don't have to be used as an instrument to other things all the time. And what I mean by that is a handstand can be valuable to learn in itself. It doesn't have to be used or to be justified for something else. Does that make sense? Like yeah. it, has, it has value in itself to learn it because mm. you learn things about training, the way that you uh, respond to training by pursuing that skill, regardless of whether you're going to use it for something. Right. And would you say that that philosophy though, can, you can replace the handstand with something else? Absolutely. Is that kind of how you're, yeah, yeah. The meaning you, you it. can so, say the same thing. What are you going to use a, a handstand push-up for? What is, what, what is it good for? Well, it's probably not good for anything really, you know, but as a process of trying to learn it, you know, that is valuable in, in itself. Like it has value in itself to move and to explore your body's possibilities to move, I think. And that just comes to show through a skill like a handstand push-up. Yeah, it might be an error on my end, bringing ego into it a little bit, because I like to feel that Olympic lifting, bodyweight strength training, gymnastics are quite superior <laughs> movements in terms of giving a person the foundation to go off and uh, follow whatever other physical activity they want to, and they're primed or pr they're prepared so much more than someone who doesn't have that. And so I don't think that is wrong to say, right, that yeah. it gives you a strong base to do things you like to do. That's not wrong at all. The issue here is that 99.9% .9 of people, they think in terms of what is it good for, you know, all the time. And, and, and I think that that's where, that's where the problem comes with a lot of the stuff you see, especially also within the movement culture and with bodyweight training, you know. A lot of it does not have a everyday life kind of purpose. But the practice of moving your body and bettering yourself at any skill, I think, has value, regardless of what you can use it for. <laughs> yeah, I think that the only thing why I was saying my ego is coming into it is because if applying that philosophy that you said of the handstand can just be good to learn in and of itself, and I said, could you not just swap out handstand for, say, doing bunny hops on a mountain bike or something like that, is that... I would, I would want to be able to justify, no, well, actually, yeah, sure, you can go and learn bunny hops on a mountain bike, but a handstand, learning that, is going to have so much more crossover to other activities, and it's, uh, I want to be able to justify that it's a functional exercise that does have carryover, because that's kind of my philosophy behind training, is training for skills that make you better at doing things. So when I can't explain that, I st yeah, I, if, when I can't explain that to people, I kind of I draw a mental blank on how the snatch, if they're asking why would I want to learn the snatch, I feel like I'm failing them because they're missing out on why the snatch is functional. I'm just not being smart enough at that time to be able to articulate its benefits. So I want, yeah, that's essentially the reasoning behind my... And I think a lot of these, these skill-based training, like Olympic lifting, for example, 
is very, very specific. And so if you don't have an interest in pursuing these types of movements, then, you know, you don't have to really, you can do all sorts of things. <laughs> so, so uh, you can get the same benefit more or less by doing different exercises. So why should I do it? Well, you don't have to, other than if you like doing Olympic lifting. Of course, there will be benefits that you can then take to other things, but you know, you could probably do something else and get similar benefits. Mm. Yeah, again, I think that's where my ego comes into it because I think that they should do snatch and clean and jerk and that I'm not one, like I'll, I'll say I think you should do it, but I'm not one to force people to do it. No, and at the end of the day, and I say the same thing to my clients, when they ask what is the best way to do X, Y, or Z, or what is the best exercise, and at the end of the day, it's the one that you actually do, you know? Because you, you, can, you can theorize into eternity whether this particular exercise will get you to point B faster than something else, but if you're not able to do it, or if you don't get it done actually, then you know it's not the best thing because you don't do it yeah i think at the end of the day you need to enjoy what you're doing and i think what might be i i, I guess i can't speak for you but you, you can say if this is true or not for me what motivates me or what encourages me to train is what works so that's why i want to do olympic lifting but i don't think everyone thinks like that i think people take a, a movement or something like a sport or whatever at face value and decide if it's fun whereas my mind can be changed if it's explained to me that this thing will help you out will teach you skills that cross over into other movement then I will like it and I, I think some people are just I like it or I don't like it and they can't be convinced anymore so I think at the, at the end of the day what you said is people need to do what they'll stick to and what what they'll enjoy. I just wish they were more like me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at the end of the day, I think, you know, what determines whether someone is successful to their own standards with their training is whether they make a conscious decision on what they want to pursue and then actually do it full-heartedly, you know, and commit to that. And so whatever beliefs you have in regards to what is the best exercise or, or way of training, as long as you commit to it and, and you do it in a progressive way, you know, then I guess that's the best thing you can do. And for me, that's, that's a body weight based type of approach, but that does not mean I'm religious to that way of training. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And so I think, you know, going, going forward, trying to do the best you can, but of course, still staying humble with regards to what you know, so that you're, you're open to changing your mind in, in, in the case that you realize something was, was different than you thought or you were wrong on a particular topic. 100%. I think that's a good place to leave it, Niels. Um, if people want to learn more about you, where can they find you? On my Instagram. They can go to Niels, N-I-E-L-S, dot training. So that is where I post uh, my own training as well as some of my thoughts to training and my clients' progress. Um, 
and there I also have some website information that although it's written in Danish they can check out and and browse that stuff if they like but the Instagram is is where I have my my English speaking content okay and do you have a YouTube channel as well uh, not at the moment it's in progress in progress <laughs> okay so I'll put your I'll put the Instagram handle and the website cool the links down below and i'll also put your youtube when you get that up great and running how long till that we see a first video on the tubes um i hope it's gonna be within this month okay awesome well it's uh it. it's as you know it's a learning curve how to edit and you know cut everything nicely together but uh but it's coming along i hope to have a first tutorial out by this month Awesome, man. Well, just hit me up if you have any questions with editing. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks, man. Oh, are, are we done now? And, yeah, we are done. Um, okay, that was an awkward awesome ending. Sorry. You... <laughs> no, that's, no let's, let's wrap it properly. Um, I'd love to have you on again, man, doing this. Thanks for coming on and talking. And yeah, that was really nice. I'll I enjoyed it. Good, uh, good questions for sure. And I'll see you next time. Sounds good.